On a Sunday afternoon in March of 2020, as German citizens were, like so many brethren across the world, isolated at home, a group effort arose for musicians to, all at the same time, perform one particular piece of music for their neighbors. It probably didn't take long to choose the piece. I'm Colleen Phelps, and this is Classically Speaking. Of course, the end of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony was the choice to perform. What other piece of music symbolizes the human collective like that one? But how does a composer get to that point, where they can write a piece that's an icon, a monument, in this way? Undoubtedly, every symphony Beethoven composed led to that piece. Two hundred fifty years after his birth, these symphonies dominate orchestral programming. So, what better way to celebrate the great composer's semi-quincentennial birthday than a walk through his work? Nashville Symphony conductor Giancarlo Guerrero joined me from his own quarantine, a hotel room in Poland where he'd been scheduled to conduct. Guerrero could probably do an entire episode of discussion for each of these symphonies, but he was also able to boil each of them down all the way to one word, starting with the first. One word, surprising. It still catches me by surprise. About 90% of what you expect in the symphony is all there. The symphony begins with a wrong note. So I promise you, the people that were there, when they heard this first chord, they, I'm sure they thought somebody's playing a wrong note. Well, no. So even though he was kind of trying to follow the rules, this is his first symphony, this is kind of his presentation card, you know, Beethoven was kind of telling us, you know what, guys, uh, you know, uh, you better get used to it because uh, uh, this is going to be a little bumpy. You know, you look at every painting of Beethoven and he always looked, you know, gruff and angry. And, I mean, can you blame him? He was going deaf and he was, you know, frustrated. But that tells you that this man had a wonderful sense of humor. We talk a lot about the shadow that Beethoven now casts, but consider this. When he wrote the first, he was 29 years old, still fully able to hear, composing at the dawn of the 19th century, having studied with Franz Josef Haydn, who's known as the father of the symphony, with Mozart only a few years ahead of him in age, but at this point, already dead. That's what he had to live up to. Eventually, of course, as life progressed and his deafness progressed and many other things went on, he became a darker character. But I think in this first symphony, you got to wonder what might have happened had he had a normal life and had his hearing full. What type of symphony had he written? Let's face it, as time progressed, things became darker and you can't blame him for it. My favorite moment is the opening of the last movement. You have this like big G chord and, and you go, okay, so where is this going? And then you hear the violins kind of, it's almost like a joke. Silence. Then four notes. Ba, 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 ba. 
pa 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 five six seven and then pa 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 symphony number one surprising as he approached his second symphony Beethoven wrote a letter to his friend Franz Wegler that jealous demon my wretched health has put a nasty spoke in my wheel and it amounts to this that for the past three years my hearing has become weaker and weaker. Traditional, under Beethoven's rules. But yeah, let's call it the more standard, you know, following the rules. I'm not going to break too many of them. The despair Beethoven felt over his hearing loss was written into a famous unsent letter known as the Heiligenstadt Testament, where Beethoven expressed that he had considered ending his life, but composing was what held him back, writing, It seemed to me impossible to leave the world until I had produced all that I felt was within me. In short, this was a time of intense personal fear and pain. And these happy notes are the smile behind the tears. So the second symphony, in many ways, is almost a response to the first. You know, it is still magical. It is still a genius of Beethoven, but it doesn't give you as many surprises as you would expect in the first one. The second one is more traditional with all the great melodies, especially the thing that Beethoven was best at was developing ideas. So he would grab this one motif and just develop it in so many ways, upside, downside, and harmonically take you to very interesting places. Harmonically, it is a very fast forward thinking symphony. But when you hear it, I mean, there's nothing really shocking about it. I mean, I always, again, think about what the audience might have thought about it when they heard it in the early 18th, 19th century. And I think people would have said, you know what, it, this is what we expect. This is what a symphony in the 19th century, in the early 19th century, sound like. Symphony number two, traditional. Napoleon himself said that from the sublime to the ridiculous is but a step a line that Beethoven clearly thought the self-proclaimed emperor had crossed in 1804, leading to a famously rescinded dedication. No longer Symphony Number no. 3 Bonaparte, it was now known as Eroica, a heroic piece in memory of a great man. Shocking. Yeah, the third symphony is completely shocked. I think by this point, Beethoven was already getting highly respected and he wanted to rock the boat. No warning, no nothing. At first, audiences didn't know what to think. Friends of the composer called it a work of genius. The musicians apocryphally enjoyed it so much they gathered for extra rehearsals to play it as well as possible. The general public, though, didn't know what they had just heard. Was that sublime? or ridiculous. 
uh, in the first movement, the wrong horn entrance. The famous wrong horn entrance. One of Beethoven's students who was sitting with him at the dress rehearsal got up and started screaming, saying, oh, the horn came in wrong. The whole orchestra is playing so soft and you have the horn playing, not even the principal, the second horn playing, and then the orchestra explodes. And Beethoven's student got up and basically said, you stupid idiot, you came in the wrong spot. And Beethoven said, calm down, my boy. That's how I want it. Only Beethoven could make that work without us blinking an eye. And then, oh, you like those adagios? I'll give you not only an adagio, I'll give you a funeral adagio. So it's even going to be slower than your normal adagio. Again, under the genius of Beethoven. Remember, all through this, his hearing is leaving him. So remember, he's going into some very dark places. The last movement, a theme and variation. It almost seems like you're doing an, an exercise for composition class, you know? And the melody is this very simple, plum, 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 plum. It's a very dumb melody. And then of course, in the hands of Beethoven, just upside, downside, sideways, every imaginable chord. Symphony number three, shocking. Even some biographies of Beethoven skip the fourth symphony. During Beethoven's lifetime, music journals only mention the fourth to ask why nobody was writing about the fourth. It almost seems settled, possibly even happy. And some have suggested that this cantabile is almost loving. So maybe it's worth noting that this symphony was completed the same year as the first known love letter the composer wrote. My heart overflows with a longing to tell you so many things. Oh, there are moments when I find that speech is quite inadequate. Be cheerful and be forever my faithful, my only sweetheart, my all, as I am yours. My word for that will be a step back, but not in a negative way, just regroup. Let's go, we're still in the early 19th century. You know, you're already in the 23rd century. Come back. Maybe the structures are kind of the same and he's following the rules, but, but there's only so much you know, uh, creativity within him to make it sound like anybody else. I mean, it still sounds like Beethoven. And I think a lot of it's like any human being. I mean, he might have gone too far and then, you know what, let's not push the envelope too much. Symphony number four, Step Back. If I had a time machine, I would very selfishly travel to December 22nd, 1808 in Vienna, Austria. Yes, that specific. Find out why after the break.
During Advent and Lent in 1800s Vienna, people were in town, but theaters and operas were off because of the religious season. So concert halls played host to massive concerts called academies. They were practically marathons compared to the symphony concerts we know today. The one on December 22nd, 1808 was kind of a disaster. It was crowded, the furnace broke, so it was freezing cold. Soprano had been insulted in rehearsal, so she quit and was hastily replaced. Practice time was woefully inadequate, but it's still a pinpoint in history. Why? Because on this night, Beethoven, in addition to a piano concerto, a choral orchestral work, and some arias, premiered both his fifth and sixth symphonies. Okay, one word for the fifth, unique. There's nothing like it. There's no other thing that even comes close to it. I mean, that one is by itself, and in the history of music, and I'm including all genres of music, I'm including country and rock and roll and hip hop and jazz. There's nothing like that, like those 36 minutes, genius. We have no melody in the fifth. What's the melody? Who goes around singing that? And he wanted to show you what he could do with, with four notes. Build an entire symphony on the idea of four notes. Because that theme is in every single movement, in every single moment. It, it, you don't go more than 30 seconds in the whole symphony without that motif coming out. He hides the, the theme, even though your subconscious is catching it, and then you realize it later after your subconscious caught it. Because there's always a three plus one. Ba -ba -ba -bam. Ba -da 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 -dum. It's, it's either it's the same note or an ascending scale. Um, the fact in the first movement that the thing is just like moving like this incredible, you know, runaway train, but he gives you these stops, like take a breath, but then probably once again goes. And then right before the end, he gives you this oboe cadence out of nowhere. You know, it's like, it's like okay, oboe, do something cute here. This is a work for me that you hear it, and when I, I just conducted it a couple of weeks ago, it, I mean, you're literally on the edge of your seat the whole time. symphony expanded the genre horizontally, taking up expansive quantities of time, the fifth moved vertically, making what was there larger than life. So you cannot talk about five without talking about six because they were antithesis of each other. They were written at the same time and premiered on the same night. Nature. This one is easy. 
if you've ever been in a park, this symphony will have meaning for you. It is so human of him to go from, you know, my life is falling apart, but I'm going to find, I'm going to conquer this and I'm going to find the light. And then it, this is the, this is the light. He's changing the world. I mean, he said it himself. I mean, I'm going to grab faith by the throat. I mean, and this is early enough that maybe he thinks that there's, there's, a, there's a hope. But maybe deep inside he realizes, no, this is gonna, only going to get worse. And of course, with that, his personality, his life becomes worse. When you think of the Sixth Symphony, which was written at the same time, think about this. The first movement, ba 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 and immediately stops the symphony. There's a fermata. You literally hit a wall. You know the six is the same. Wall. You stop. But again, one is and the other one, so they're complete antithesis. From their state of mind, conducting one and then conducting the other, it's like you have to be two different people. And yet, this one man capable, was capable to do this. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, in front of us. Symphony number five, unique. And shall we say it's fraternal twin? Symphony number six, nature. By the time Beethoven reached his seventh symphony, his hearing was almost completely gone. If the second symphony was denial and the fifth was anger, by the seventh, the composer may have found acceptance. The seventh symphony is all about dance. The Seventh Symphony is just a dance, all of it. The first movement, the second movement, the third movement, all of it. Uh, individual, specific, different ways of getting your body and your spirit moving. You know, it's nonstop. That motif in, in the first, I mean, you have the fifth, for example, you know, ba 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 In the first movement of the seventh, it's bum ba dum 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 bum ba It's, my God, it's non-stop. Not to mention, dumb. Bum, bum, bum. And then repeat ad nauseum, but yet you never get tired of it. Now, there's, there's something very hypnotic about repetition. The seventh like works with anything. The seventh is still gonna deliver. You know, it's the timing is 35, 36 minutes long. Again, 
four movements long, except by now, by the way, the only symphony that he expanded was the six with five movements. Like five and six, seven and eight premiered as a set. Apocryphally, Beethoven's student Carl Cherney once asked why the seventh was so much more popular than the eighth. And the composer answered, because the eighth is so much better. Question mark. Uh. (laughs) I, I really don't know what to make of it. He had moved the needle so far, did he feel that maybe he didn't want to lose his, uh, or prove that he could still do the simple stuff? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I just don't find a reasoning for it. And and the fact that because it's kind of funny and lighthearted and, and short, it's very difficult to program. Well, the symphonies of Beethoven, the eighth, I would say, is by far the most classical of them all. And think about it, written between seven and nine, between those two behemoths, between those two monuments, you have this symphony, which is under 20, under 30 minutes, by the way, with a small orchestra, a small orchestra of Mozart's or Haydn. This one has uh, a lot of the traits, the funny traits, a lot of the comedy. You know, it's intended to be so lighthearted, it's supposed to put a smile on your face. I'm saying he's going back, but again, it's Beethoven. It's more creative than anybody would have ever done it. But yes, it is, it is a huge step back. Is there any further meaning in this? Again, is it supposed to be funny? Is it supposed to be, I mean, I don't know. It's a question mark. Symphony number seven, dance. And its partner, symphony number eight, question mark. Well, if that's a question, here's the answer. It is the Mount Everest to climb from, from every point of view. It's easiest on the audience because it's glorious. For those of us performing it and the singers, it's, 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 it's difficult. I mean, it's a very difficult mountain to climb. Artistically and, and, and technically and, and, and emotionally, you know, this is kind of like the beginning of what the Mahler senses will become later exhausting physically and mentally uh, but yet glorious I mean you feel rewarded uh, when you hear those final chords you always know that the audience is going to go crazy the entrance the first entrance of the of, of the baritone gets my spirit going oh, 
six. Everybody, shut up! <laughs> you know. Well, the opening of the last movement to me is is incredibly magic because Beethoven kind of puts us in a time machine. The opening of the last movement, you have this raucous, stormy, and then you hear this chorale played by the basses of the cello, this incredible chorale, which is part of every audition in every orchestra in the world for cellos and basses. The ninth, Everest. Maybe best described here in a letter from an audience member to the New York Philharmonic. When the human voices leaped up, thrilling from the surge of harmony, I recognized them instantly as voices more ecstatic, upcurving, swift and flame-like, until my heart almost stood still. The women's voices seemed an embodiment of all the angelic voices rushing in a harmonious flood of beautiful and inspiring sound. What's so amazing about that description is that it was made possible through the magic of classical radio. She had heard the broadcast by taking apart the box and putting her hand directly on the diaphragm. She finished the letter with kindest regards and best wishes. I am sincerely yours, Helen Keller. Classically Speaking is a production of Nashville Public Radio's 91 Classical. The show is edited by Anita Bug and engineered by Carl Peterson. I'm Colleen Phelps, and I hope you've been able to enjoy this classical milestone from the safety of home. Tell us how you've celebrated on social media. We're at Classically Speaking on Instagram and Facebook and Speak Classical on Twitter. Thanks for enjoying these nine symphonies via your backstage pass to classical music. Classically Speaking. Classically Speaking.